Good morning, Kavanaugh. Everybody good? Yes. Fantastic. Glad that you're uh, in the Lord's house and with us today. I brought some show and tell items up here. Now, I don't know about you, but when I was a kid, I loved show and tell at school. Didn't you? Okay, don't be this way. Didn't you like it? Get into it? I mean, it was, it was a lot of fun. We get to show and tell about our favorite things. But the thing I enjoyed about it most is that it just ate up class time. Yeah. So my show and tell items. These are, these are pieces of uh, ceramic art uh, that were actually made in my Aunt Pat Kate's ceramic shop in Midland, Texas back in the day. Uh, now, I know I'm talking to a specific group of people here, but how many of y'all, like in the 70s, remember ceramics being a big fad? Do everybody remember ceramics? All right. How many of y'all ever made ceramics in a ceramic? Okay, there you go. I'm, I'm relating with you now, aren't I? Okay. My Aunt Pat, who is my dad's older sister, had this ceramic shop, and it just it started out real small, but boy, it kept growing. Uncle Harold added onto that house, I don't know, about 27 times maybe to to build this huge ceramic shop. And as a kid, my sister and I would go over there and we'd get to paint ceramics. And I remember them when they were just uh, moist and you got to work with them with the little tools and then she would fire them in the kill and then you would paint them. And, and here are just a couple of artifacts that are left. I asked dad to go up in the attic and dig through and this is all he could find. I think the artwork that my sister and I made, uh, it didn't make it for some reason, I don't know. <laughs> These are trophies that were given out at the Harmon family reunion that uh, were made in Aunt Pat's ceramic shop. This is first place back in 1982 at the Harmon reunion. I don't know what it was for or which one of us won it, but woohoo! <laughs> Y'all are not impressed, are you? I remember this one. I'm, I'm pretty sure it, it was both my dad and I who won this one. Uh, it is entitled Best Fisherman of the Harmon Reunion, 1973. <laughs> Woo! Corpus, that's when we went to Corpus Christi. I think we went deep sea fishing. Isn't that great? Man, y'all are not impressed one bit. I, I've got fond memories of, of ceramics and, and making things. And I can remember as a little boy in school, uh, our teacher, art teacher, brought in a wheel and let us try to mold clay on the wheel. Boy, that was hard. I, I never could get my ball of clay to do anything. It was awful, all right? And I'd keep smashing it and trying to rebuild it. Nothing like this guy. This, this right here is a master potter maker, all right? Look at him, all right? This is old school. Watch what he does here. He's got a little indentation in that stone, got his stick in it. He's spinning it, and he's getting it up to some pretty high RPMs, is he not? <laughs> Nothing mechanical about that. That's old school. Isn't it? So he's, man, that thing could just take off, but it doesn't. Spins. He knows exactly how fast to get it to keep the revolutions going until he's finished with this piece of clay. And then he takes his hand, dips it into the water, puts it on the clay. He knows exactly how much water to distribute. And notice, notice a couple of things. Notice his hands, his fingers. That's a master potter maker right there. I gave this guy, his Bill, Bill the potter maker. Come on, people, help me out here. Inside and out, he works this piece of clay. And he has done it so much that his hands know exactly how much pressure. His fingers know exactly the amount of pressure in the precise place to build this pot. I mean, that is amazing. 
And what even blows my mind more is he's squatting the whole time. Can, how many of you could even squat that low? Not many of And he's like that, I'm sure, all day long. Wow. Now, I, something else I notice is the concentration he has. Look at his eyes, man. He's focused on what he's doing. He knows exactly how to touch this thing. And it's all through his fingers and by his hands. Isn't that amazing? I mean, Bill is good, is he not? He's a master potter maker. Look at all the pots in the back that he's built. That's just, that's, that's amazing. Fingers touching. It's slowing down, but yet there's enough speed to finish this thing out. One last touch. One last touch of the potter. There it is. Thank you, Bill. Thanks, Bill. Isn't that great? Oh, man, I got into that a whole lot more than you did. Well, let me tell you, the prophet Jeremiah could identify with something very similar to this in Jeremiah chapter 18. So that's where we're going to be this morning, Jeremiah chapter 18. You see, we found out in the book of Jeremiah that God's people had turned their faces from God. So they stopped looking and worshiping God. And what have they done? They have turned their faces to worthless idols. They were worshiping wood and stone. They were saying to a stick of wood, you are my father. They were saying to rocks, you gave me birth. So literally they had turned their love and devotion and loyalty and dedication from a covenant God to worthless idols. Now God loved his people. They were his chosen people, his covenant people. And so he loves them so much, he's not about to let them just go chasing after these worthless idols. No, he's intervening. He is disciplining them. And he gives his prophet, Jeremiah, a graphic image of how God deals with his people when they are straying and walking away from him. And how... He responds to them and then how they respond back to him. We see this in Jeremiah chapter 18. Reading verse number 1. This is the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. He said, go down to the potter's house and there I will give you my message. So that I went to the potter's house and I saw him working at the wheel. But the pot that he was shaping from the clay was marred in his hand. So the potter formed it into another pot, shaping it as seemed best to him. Then the word of the Lord came to me. He said, can I not do with you, Israel, as this potter does, declares the Lord. Like clay in the hand of the potter, so are you in my hand, Israel. And Heavenly Father, I pray that we would be clay in your hand today. As I try to speak this word on the outside, I pray that you would speak it into our hearts. And Lord, I pray that we would be moldable and pliable today. And I pray that you would form us into the image of your Son, Jesus Christ. This I pray in his name. Amen. Now guys, this is one of the most pointed and powerful parables, not only in the book of Jeremiah, but really in all of the Bible. And this morning, I'd like to do three things from Jeremiah 18. Number one, I would like to explain the biblical message to you. Secondly, I would like to apply it to uh, Jeremiah's congregation, the people who would have heard it 
when he spoke it. And then thirdly, I'd like for us to make personal application to this day and this time and specifically to our church. So first of all, we have the biblical explanation of verses 1 through 6. Let me start in verse 1 again. This is the word that came to Jeremiah. And who's it by? Who gave this word? It's from who? It's from the Lord, okay? So God is giving this word to his man. He said, go down to the potter's house, and there I will give you my message. So I went down to the potter's house, and I saw the potter working at the wheel. So here's the scene. God took Jeremiah on a field trip. Don't you love going on field trips, all right? And so he takes Jeremiah down the road to the potter's house, where Jeremiah sees this potter sitting at his wheel, maybe squatting down like Bill was doing at his potter's wheel. And he's got this lump of moist clay spinning on the wheel in front of him. And Jeremiah watched as the potter took his fingers and pressed and molded that piece of clay into something that would become very useful, a pot. Now, in that day and time, they used these pots for all kinds of things. You would store things in a pot, especially food. And so this image was something very common. Everyone had seen a potter working at the wheel. Everyone had gone to the potter's house to buy a piece of pottery. So this was a familiar image to everyone. They got it. But God used this very common image to teach Jeremiah a very uncommon message. Now, in this parable, there are three very important components. There's, first of all, the potter. Then there's the clay. And thirdly, there's the wheel. So let me explain those three components to you. First of all, you've got the potter. And I believe the potter in this parable represents God himself. You see, God as the master potter maker, has the prerogative to do whatever he wants to with the clay that is spinning on the wheel in front of him. And it all begins with the vision that God has for what that clay is to become. And God sees that because God is sovereign. He knows all things, and he knows what that piece of clay needs to be turned into. And God has the prerogative to form it into whatever he wants it to be. Why? Because he's the potter maker right there. Secondly is the clay. The clay represents us. Raise your hand if you're an us, okay? That's all of us. That's it. The clay represents human beings. We were made to respond to the touch of the potter's hand. I got one amen, but that was better than just one amen. We were made to respond to the touch of the potter's hand. God made us that way. He made us responsive to his touch. The potter can touch and press the clay any way that he sees fit. And the clay is to respond and yield To the touch of the potter's hand. Okay, are you following me? You picking up what we're putting down? So, who is the potter maker? God. Who's the clay? It's us. And God is forming us 
into the people he wants us to be. Every day God is forming us and working with us, our lives and our attitudes, to make us into the image of his son Jesus Christ. And that brings the third element or component in, and that is the will. I believe the will represents the circumstances of life. Just as the potter touches the clay as it spins round and round on the wheel, so God touches us as our lives spin round and round on the circumstances of life. And let me tell you, this is not the wheel of fortune. Okay? It's not the wheel of happen chance. God is in control. God's the one who's spinning the wheel. And our lives go round and round, don't they? They honestly do. We go round and round past success and failure and joy and grief and peace and chaos and victory and defeat. And God's hand is on us as our life is spinning around these circumstances and God is working on us. He's working on you right now. Then Jeremiah sees a frown on the potter's face because something's wrong. Something something is not right here, Houston. As the clay spun underneath his sensitive fingers, the potter feels this hard place in the clay. There is a flaw in the clay. At that particular place, the potter couldn't do with the clay what he envisioned for this pot to be. And with every rotation of the lump of clay, the potter is pressing and touching that unresponsive piece of clay. You're you're seeing where I'm going with this, aren't you? Isn't it true that when God finds something like that in us, He just seems to come back to it over and over again. That rough place in our life. That unresponsive place in our heart. God keeps touching it over and over and over again. And sometimes we give in and we allow him to reshape us. But then there are other times when we get a little bit stubborn with God. And we say to God, God. I don't want to yield that part of my life to you. And I really wish you would quit messing with me, God. I'm tired of you doing this to me. I've been this way way too long. And God, I'm not about to change now. I refuse to give up that habit. I will not give up that addiction. I will not forgive that person who said that about me and hurt me and harmed me. I don't care how deep that root of bitterness grows in my heart. I am not going to forgive them, Lord. And I refuse to become the person that you're trying to make me to be. Now, you're all sitting there aghast in your piety thinking, Preacher, we have never thought that. Oh, yes, you have. Haven't you? Every one of us in this room has said something like that to God. But church, what I want you to see this morning is that it is a very dangerous thing for a piece of clay to say that to the master potter. Verse 4. 
But the pot he was shaping from the clay was marred in his hands. So the potter formed it into another pot, shaping it as seemed best to him. Now, the translation from which I'm reading doesn't really pick this up, but the words marred and formed in the Hebrew indicate repetition. So the pot kept on being marred, and the potter kept on remaking it and reforming it. You see, here's here's a good thing. Our divine potter maker is amazingly patient. (laughs) And thank God for that. Every day I thank Him for His long-suffering towards us. And God is going to keep working with that unresponsive lump of clay until it conforms to the vision of what seems best to Him. But you know what? Sometimes there comes a time when the lump of clay refuses to be worked. It refuses the touch of the Master. It refuses to be formed into what God wants it to be. So the potter, as in this verse, smashes it, and then he reforms it into another pot. I like reading that out of the New Living Translation. The NLT says the potter crushes it. If it doesn't conform, if there's a bad spot, he crushes it and he rebuilds it. So here is the biblical explanation. But then the Lord gives to Jeremiah an application for ancient Israel. And again, Jeremiah was speaking to a group of people. He was speaking to God's covenant people. And yes, they were a nation, but they were also God's church, his Old Testament church. These were his people. And so what does he say in verse 5? Then the word of the Lord came to me. He said... Can I not do with you, Israel, as this potter does, declares the Lord. Like clay in the hand of the potter, so are you in my hand, Israel. Now, everybody look at me. This whole story, this whole parable, this whole message is about change. The change that God wanted to make in Israel. The change God wanted to make in the lives of people. The change that was coming to them. You see, God had already sent the Babylonians from the north. And they were going to invade Judah and destroy Jerusalem. They were going to take most of the population of Jerusalem back to Babylon And those people were going to live many years in Babylonian captivity. And so there was going to be a whole lot of change that was about to happen to all of these people. But God was in search of a different kind of change. Really the kind of change God was looking for was in the hearts of his people. God wanted their hearts to change. Really what we're dealing with here is what the Bible calls repentance. God wanted his people to change. He wanted to take their old stony hearts that were hard clay and make them moist again and pliable again and for them to fall back in love with him. But Let me just stop right here and say, this is all about change, okay? Change that's coming. And you know what? Everything changes, doesn't it? We change. Lord have mercy, have you looked in the mirror today? (laughs) 
Really, life is all about change, is it not? We are changing constantly. Our family dynamic is changing constantly. Here in just a few days, we're going to take Ozane off to college. On, on Sunday the, the 19th, we, we take him after church. We're going to drop him off and I, in, in Conway. And I told Miss Angie, I said, you know what? When we drop him off, we just need to keep driving. <laughs> we, need, we just need to get at it. Go on a vacation because we finally done it. <laughs> Empty nesters. It's another change. And Angie's going to be crying. I'm going to be sad because all our babies are gone. One good thing is we're going to have a whole lot less garbage to take out Thursday night to the trash. <laughs> you know? Fewer people, less garbage. That's how Dad thinks. You don't stop this, though. Money doesn't. Anyway, that's just, where am I going with this? Life, yeah, I'm getting in trouble, aren't I? Zane, we hate to see you go, buddy, honestly. <laughs> change is coming, man. We change. Our family changes. Life changes. Jobs change. Church changes. We don't like change, do we? That's why I go to the same restaurants, order the same thing, and demand it be made the same way that it's always been made. Are you with me? Come on. That's, that's why I get aggravated every time Angie cleans the house and she moves my chair to vacuum under it. Let's just get the chair right back in the same spot I had it in. Why am I saying that? Because y'all are the same way when you come here to church. You got your seat. God forbid any visitor come into this place and sit where you're sitting because that's a holy seat you're in, right? We don't like to, but you know what? Life is full of change. Change is all around us. Change is happening. Change is going on right now. The dynamic of this church is changing. But there's one thing that doesn't change, and that's God. Everything else is spinning and changing. He is the one constant. His word doesn't change, nor does he change. And so here is the message of this passage whether it be an application to ancient Israel or a modern-day application, here is the message. God doesn't change. Therefore, our God has the right to shape His people any way He chooses to shape us. He's the potter. We're the clay. God has the right to choose how He wants to make us. How we respond to His shaping will determine the outcome. Look at verse 7. If at any time I announce that a nation or a kingdom is to be uprooted, torn down, and destroyed, and if that nation I warned, what? Repents of its evil, then I will relent and not inflict on it the disaster that I had planned. Okay? Here's what God is saying to His church, His Old Testament people. You are my covenant people. I love you. But you know what? You're chasing after these worthless idols. You are committing spiritual adultery. You have been stubborn and unresponsive. But you know what? I still love you. And I still care for you. 
And, and I want you to obey me. So here's all you have to do. All you have to do is repent. Turn back to me. And I will relent of all of these things. I, I'll turn the Babylonians away. I'll save you. If you repent, I will relent. What God is saying is this. Hey, people, work with me here. <laughs> Just work with me. Do your part. Respond to what I say. Change your ways, and I will change my plans. But what if they don't? Look at verse 9. And if at another time I announce that a nation or a kingdom is to be built up and planted... And if it does evil in my sight and does not obey me, then I will reconsider the good that I intended to do for it. You see, it, it works like this, church. Success and blessing in the past does not guarantee success and blessing in the future. It all depends on our submission to the Lord. And this is true whether it be for a nation or for an individual or even for a church. Judah is a sad testimony to the failure of a group of people to allow the Lord to change them and shape them according to his perfect plan and purpose. And God already knows the stubborn response that is going to come from his ancient people. Look at verse 11. Now therefore say to the people of Judah and those living in Jerusalem, this is what the Lord says. Look, I am preparing a disaster for you and devising a plan against you. So turn from your evil ways, each one of you, and reform your ways and your actions. But they will reply, it's no use. We will continue with our own plans. We will all follow the stubbornness of our own evil hearts. You see, every piece of clay that comes into the potter's house either went out the back door as a dry, wasted piece of clay that couldn't be used for anything, or it went out the front door as a very useful vessel designed and formed by the master potter maker for the good of his kingdom. And it all depends on the condition of the clay. Through the circumstances of life, we either allow God to change us and shape us into the people that he can use in his kingdom, or we're going to be cast aside. The Old Testament church had a choice. They could be reshaped by God and used for his kingdom, or they could remain stubborn and unresponsive. You know what? We're no different. We too can be so unresponsive to the Lord that he can't do a cotton-picking thing with us. <laughs> and we will live under his continual discipline and not under his blessings. And can I tell you something? That is a bad place to be under God's continual discipline. When you just get a hard heart and you say, no, God. I refuse to respond to the touch you're putting in my life. And I know, I know that you're trying to get me to give up that habit. I know that you want me to turn away from that addiction. 
I know, dear God, that you want me to forgive that person who said that about me 22 years ago, but I just can't do it, Lord. I have become comfortable in being the person that I am right now, and I don't want to change. There's that hard place in your heart, and you're not responsive to God. So that leads me to a modern-day application for us. Guys, I believe there's power in God's Word, don't you? This is a powerful book. It is the Word of truth and the Word of life. And Jeremiah spoke the powerful Word of God 2,500 years ago. And I believe it's just as powerful today as God speaks it to us through His Holy Spirit. And as I told the first service, this whole week, man, I've been, I've been both very excited about this sermon and I've almost kind of been dreading this sermon. And I'll tell you why. I've been excited because this is a powerful passage. It's exciting. Taking a field trip to the potter's house. Isn't, isn't that a great application, man? It's great. I, I love the story. But what I've been dreading is the application part because it, it hits home really close to every one of us. And I do believe there is an application for us both individually and corporately as a church. And so let me make that application right now. First, there is an application for each one of us as individual believers. And I've got to make it by asking you a question. Here's the question. Is our own stubbornness, and that's what the people of Judah had, stubbornness. Is our stubbornness or pride or unwillingness to change, keeping God from using us for His glory and His purpose. God wanted to use the people back then to be a light unto the nations, but they were too stubborn to change. They would not repent. They would not allow God to change that one thing about them. So I've got to ask you, where are you in this? Because all of us have at least that one thing God's been working on. You know? God has been trying to conform us into the image of Christ. And that one thing is keeping us from looking just like Jesus. And so he keeps poking at it and rubbing on it and trying to get it out of our life. But are we responding God keeps coming back to that one issue over and over, and we refuse to yield. And until we yield to the Lord, we are going to live under His continual discipline. Have you ever wondered why it is that you have to keep taking a life test over and over and over again? You know, test in life, like you had in school. God brings a test to you, and you have to keep taking it over and over and over. And don't you get tired of that? You're saying, God, why do I, why do I have to keep taking this test over? It's because you flunk it every time. And you're going to have to keep retaking that test until you pass it. But if you will say what that old hymn said, Have thine own way, Lord. Have thine own way. Thou art the potter, I am the clay. Mold me and make me after thy will while I am waiting, yielded, and still. And I get, listen to me, I guarantee you, when you do that, when you yield to God, when you say yes to his will, when you allow him to form you 
into the image of Jesus and a vessel that is fit for the master's use, you will come out from underneath that discipline and you will get under the spigot of his blessings. And life's pretty good over there. So that's the application to us individually. I think there's also an application of this to our church. You see, church, Kavanaugh Church, we are a lump of clay on the potter's wheel. And the circumstances and opportunities are spinning around and around us every day. And in that turning, the Lord has a right to touch this church and to press us any way that he wants to. As his church, Jesus is working with us like a lump of clay. He wants us to be the people of God that bring praise, honor, and glory to him and tells others about him. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. Do we have that? 1 Peter 2, 9. Here's what Peter said. He's talking to the church. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation, a people that belongs to God. And here it is, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. And so whatever else you think that God is up to in his church, this is his main thing. There is one main thing that God is up to, and that is to mold and to shape a people who are ablaze for the glory and praise of his son Jesus and a people who draws others in who are living in a lost and dark and dying world. That's what God is up to. That is God's main thing. That's why when you get saved, God doesn't just zap you into heaven. He leaves you here so that you can join a local church and together we become a light unto the nations. That is God's main thing. And we would do best to keep his main thing our main thing. But oh, that is difficult to do in a world that's all about you. I went back a couple years and, and found Time magazine. This was the, the cover of Time a couple years ago. It says, the me, me, me generation. Hey, y'all aren't saying anything because you know it's descriptive of you. Huh? We are the me generation. Here's what's happened, church. In America, we have created a culture of people who are addicted to comfort and pleasure and pretty much having everything that we want the way we want it when we want it. And it's also created a culture of complainers when we aren't treated the way we think we're deserved to be treated, we complain. And we grumble. Oh me. It's, you know it's true. And here's the problem. We have allowed this to infiltrate into the church of Jesus Christ. And with that there is a dilemma. A dilemma for those who are Christ followers. Because you know what? This me generation in no way looks like Jesus Christ. Mark chapter 8, verse 34, Jesus said, If anyone would come after me, 
he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel will save it. So church, listen very carefully to me. We are not called as Kavanaugh Church to protect and pamper our own life. We are called to lay down our life. And we are called by the glory of God to give our lives away. We are not to be consumers. We are to be contributors. And as a church, we are not called to pamper ourselves and to protect our buildings or our programs or our money or anything else because it's not ours. It all belongs to the Lord. And we are called to give our life away for the sake of the gospel. Jesus said this in John chapter 12. Unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Are you following that? I don't want to get into horticulture here, but a seed has to die in the ground before it gives birth to a plant to give birth to many other seeds. You know what? The Bible is saying right here that Jesus did that for us. And he calls us to the same lifestyle for the sake of getting the gospel to the people in this world who are far from God. So church isn't about making believers conveniently comfortable and happy. In fact, it's about the opposite of that. Church is about making believers uncomfortable and inconvenienced in order that the gospel may go to the ends of the earth. Wow. You see why I've struggled with this? You don't like to hear this. Because you want to come to a church that's all about you. You want to be a church that meets your needs and meets the needs of your family. You want to come to a church where the music is great and the preaching is happy. And so when you walk out of here, you've been uplifted and you feel better. And I get that. Okay? I understand that. And in a sense, I want what's best for you too. I want a church where you can come and enjoy coming. I want a church where you, you come and you feel good because you're a part of something that's bigger than you. I want this church to be the kind of church that I never had when I was a kid. Because in my youth group, it was just me and my sister. <laughs> now, how much fun can that be? And I'm not kidding. I'm, I'm, I don't mean this bad, but there were times growing up that our church was so small and so boring. I wasn't about to invite my friends to it. Now, isn't that sad? I mean, it is. And I'm, I'm, I repent for feeling that way. I don't want that for you, for your family. I want this church to be a great place that you love and you enjoy coming, that you're encouraged by. But at the same time, you need to understand this is not just about you. It's bigger than you. And that seat that you're in, that pew or that chair you're sitting in, does not belong to you. 
And even though you may be a part of a great effective ministry at this church, that ministry does not have your name on it. None of this belongs to us. As a church, we must always remember that we as the family of faith are on the potter's wheel. And as the wheel spins round and round, the potter's sensitive hands pick up on that part of the clay that is not conforming to the potter's vision. And he keeps coming round to that one spot. Why? Because this world is changing. And church has to change. And I've got to say, God's done that with Kavanaugh Church over and over and over again. Time and time again, he has reshaped us and reinvented us and remade us. Why? Because again, life is all about change, is it not? Lord, how I wish that that church was the way it was when I was a little kid. Because church was pretty easy back then. Can I tell you, in the 30 plus years that I've been pastoring a church, it has become much more difficult to pastor a church in this modern culture that's all about me, me, me. And in a world that has literally no respect for the Christian faith anymore. And where you watch things on TV and have social media and you question everything that comes up and... Even the mindset of it and the thinking of it. And you filter everything through your worldly system and thinking that's been created in the world. It makes church difficult. I mean, and I'm not whining to you. I'm just telling you reality. It's tough. And our world is constantly changing. And you know what? Sometimes God changes us so that we can reach people. Because why? His main thing is reaching people. A church that doesn't change is a church that's dying. I've been here 21 years. That's pretty remarkable, I think. And, and you add my time to the previous pastor who was here 28 years, that's 49 years this church has only had two pastors. But I'm telling you, that's incredible. You know, here's the thing about that. It's that way because... You have remained pliable under the potter's hand. This church has remained responsive to God. Therefore, you know, it's a successful church. God's doing great things. And I'm thankful that God is doing great things. Why? Because you keep saying yes, and we keep changing things. We've got to change all the time. Change is a coming. And I can't tell you the number of times we have changed in the past 21 years. This is not the same church as it was back in 1997. And it's not going to be the same church 20 years from now than it is today. Why? Because God is going to reshape us and reform us and remake us into the image of His Son, Jesus Christ. If we keep saying yes. Here's the point. It's not about us. It's about God and His kingdom's work. So, you know what? There may be times when God shakes things up and reshapes the dynamic of your life and your family and even of our fellowship. And we are to respond by staying pliable to His touch. 
Again, I've said it, I just said it a second ago. Let me, let me add to it and say this. Christians backslide. And we do believe in the possibility of backsliding and even apostasy. Christians backslide and churches like ours die when we say no to God. I don't want that for any of you. And I sure don't want it for this place. So would you join with me and just continue to say yes to God? You can, you can start this morning by individually coming to the altar and allow God reshaping that one thing in your life that you've been hesitant turning over to Him. You know what it is. I mean, you know. If I could read your mind, I'd tell you, but I, that's between you and God. So come and, and say yes to the master potter as he reshapes your life today. And if you care about this family of faith, if you care about Kavanaugh Church, would you join me in, in the leadership of this church as we ask God's wisdom, what is the next step that you want us to take so that we can be about the main thing that he's about, reaching people 